Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined today by Reverend Mark Feldmeyer. Hello. Hey there. Thanks for having me, Lauren. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. So Mark is the senior pastor at St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. He's a sort of a neighbor of mine. And he has served on the adjunct faculty at Claremont School of Theology, lectured at various conferences throughout the country on topics ranging from preaching, leadership, and pop culture, and is the author of three books. So uh, welcome. What else would you like our listeners to know about yourself? Well, I've been in Highlands Ranch at St. Andrew United Methodist Church since uh, July of 2014. I'm a native of Southern California. I was born and raised there and uh, served a couple of churches uh, in Southern California, um, most recently uh, served eight years at a church in Northern uh, San Diego County in Encinitas, California. And prior to that, I served um, as a lead pastor of a new church plant for 12 years in South Orange County, California. So, um, Oh, maybe we should talk about that instead. <laughs> <laughs> I need all the help I can get yeah. there. <laughs> Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, about your journey of faith, uh, how you, you know, how it started out, what it looks like now, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, that's a great question. I uh, was was uh, raised Catholic up until about the age of fourteen, and um, I know a lot of people who um, who struggle with um, uh, a, a tough history in Catholicism. But for me, you know, the Catholic Church was a, a wonderful experience, uh, and um, it helped me at a very early age integrate um, my experience of God and uh, experience of, of faith practice into my everyday life. Um, and as a child, I was I was always sort of um, preoccupied with spiritual things, and, uh, mm -hmm. and the, the Catholic Church helped me perceive the world as sort of spiritually charged. Um, and um, and so I found uh, some great early spiritual formation in the Catholic Church. Um, and then my, my family moved to a new community. And um, for various reasons, we didn't fight, quite uh, connect with, with uh, the Catholic Church there. And that led us on a journey toward mm -hmm. for, for another faith uh, community, a faith home. And uh, we landed uh, eventually in the United Methodist Church. And, and that was an experience that helped connect my early spiritual uh, uh, understanding of the world with uh, and that was which was largely sort of inward focused and upward focused yeah to a, a more Wesleyan understanding of both the inward journey as well as the outward journey or as Wesley described it as personal piety and and social yeah. uh, practice of social mercy well, uh, he's, you know, Mark here is a good Methodist. He's already quoting Wesley here, <laughs> referencing Wesley early on. <laughs> uh, anything, well, I guess, uh, how, 
if I can ask, if and if you're willing to share, um, how would you describe your faith today? What does that look like for you? What's what's meaningful? Yeah, I, what I would say is that um, the, the early experiences of faith, both in the Catholic Church, which was this focus on personal piety and 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 a more Wesleyan approach uh, to this dual sort of. Uh, focus on both inward uh, piety and, and um, outwardly focused acts of mercy. I think where I'm at in my life today is uh, trying to integrate those two in such a way that they're, they're not separate, but, um, but that the very act of prayer uh, uh, can also be uh, an act of mercy and justice in the world. And and, and how our acts of mercy and justice in the world uh, can be experienced by ourselves as well as by others as an act of prayer. Um, I, I think we, oh, sort of, yeah. we, we think in these dualistic terms and we categorize yeah. personal piety and, and acts of justice when, how do we come to understand that, that when, when we're doing acts of justice, we're, um, we're doing it in prayer, as, as Bono would say. You know, how do you turn a song into a prayer, right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's at this stage of my life. I'm 52. Uh, I'm trying to find ways to integrate those so that you know we don't go to church and say, okay, we're going to worship here, then we're out to the world, and then we're going to engage yeah. socially out, out there. Yeah. But maybe you know, maybe some of the the deep social work we do happens in church when we stand up and and state an affirmation of faith that says who we are and what we believe in. Um, and, um, and, and, and maybe some of the most prayerful things we can do um, are things like wash the feet of the, of the poor and the marginalized. Um, those are mm, yeah. powerfully spiritual things to me. Awesome. Uh, talk about a spiritual practice that you've developed or might uh, recommend others that was meaningful for you. I, uh, of course, I, I have various routines and rituals that um, I try to incorporate into my my daily life. I think what what's what grounds it the most is um, is is daily prayer, prayer routine that um, maybe many of your listeners are familiar with. Um, a resource, uh, Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals, um, and it's just a it's it's a resource, a daily resource of. So, a simple liturgies and prayers and scripture readings with some other traditional sort of worship elements that that is accessible and um, and somewhat predictable, but uh, that keeps me grounded. Um, that's that's a spiritual practice. But I guess to my point earlier, what I'm what I'm really trying to do is understand that that so much of what we do uh, in response to God's call in our life is spiritual practice, and so. Hmm. Um, when I sit down with somebody in crisis, um, how do I how do I understand that in this experience and encounter with the other, uh, I'm being spiritually shaped uh, as well? Hmm. And, um, how do I show up to that with a kind of compassion that um, uh, that not only I, I offer to the other, but that the other offers to me and, and, and shapes me? So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I'm more and more trying to trying to ground myself in those experiences uh, rather than seeing them as transactional, which so much of ministry these days can be. <laughs> yeah. 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 I appreciate what you're saying about there about um, 
if I'm hearing you right, like even if you're counseling someone in crisis, you're trying to see that as an opportunity for you to learn and grow as much from them. Oh, is that fair? Yeah, and knowing that when we serve the other, we're serving Christ, and so if we see mm. if we see the Christ before us, um, that Christ has something to say to us and and to, mm. and to speak into us. And it's, it's del- of it's course, good. that's delicate, right? I mean, we're taught yeah. early to have boundaries, and you know, and all, but right. but I think there's there's opportunity to see that experience as holy as a holy encounter. Yeah, um, I, I was going to ask you the common prayer for ordinary radicals. That was just called. Yes. yes. Okay. Is it like a podcast type thing? Um, it, it is a. It's an actual physical book. Um, Oh, okay. And at one point, there was actually an app that they had as well. Uh, and uh-huh. I think the app is no longer supported by Apple. Uh, but uh, mm. but it's a, it's just a simple, you know, five to ten minute uh, reading every day that includes uh, simple mm-hmm. liturgies and, and prayers. It's funny. That's a, my first question. Is it an app? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about your book. Uh, Mark is the author of House Divided. Engaging the issues through politics of compassion. Um, I'm struggling to read it because it's a, the cover is a divided page and it's throwing off my visuals a little bit. Um, but talk about kind of in the book you write that this was brought about by a sermon series. So uh, talk about kind of what prompted that sermon series and why you know uh, I, that's what I'd like to hear about. Kind of what brought about that sermon series mm-hmm. uh, and kind of what your call was as a pastor kind of teach that to your church? Well, um, in the summer of 2018, as I do every summer, I go away for a few days and, and map out my sermon plans for the coming 12 months, including texts and, and, um, and, and, and sermon themes and titles. And it, that summer I decided that, you know, there was a lot of division that we were experiencing in our country at the time. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And I wanted to speak into that and knowing that um, it's a sensitive um, matter when we when we discuss politics in church and we, yeah. and we mix faith and politics. But the reality is um, if if we don't claim those spaces and articulate a message um, about how our faith uh, intersects with our with our experience of politics, yeah. then the world is already doing that and the world will, uh, will, yep. will do it for us and do it in ways that maybe don't um, that don't quite comply with our own understanding of the gospel. And so, yeah. you know, these big issues, uh, immigration, climate change, healthcare, LGBTQ, LGBTQ inclusion that are, that are not only dividing our country, but dividing our churches. Um, how do mm-hmm. we, how do we say that the church needs to speak, to these, not of course in partisan ways, but in profoundly biblical ways. And knowing mm-hmm. that um, the Bible is not politically neutral, um, the Bible has mm-hmm. a lot to say, for example, about the sojourner and the alien in our country. Yep, like ninety-six commandments uh, in uh, in the Hebrew Scripture alone speak to uh, the proper care and treatment of the sojourner or the immigrant among us. Um, and Jesus, of course, his very first sermon, as it's relayed in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter four, yeah. lays out very clearly that his miss- mission is not one of, uh, of of the spiritual nature exclusively, but one that 
has profound political implications. So to proclaim release the captives um, in today's world, that might have something to do with prison reform, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, to, um, you know, to recovery of sight to the blind, um, that speaks to issues of med- uh, medical health care. Um, to liberate yeah. the oppressed, to announce the acceptable year of the Lord. We're talking about poverty. Yeah. We're talking about economic justice and, um, and, and, and forgiveness of, of, of indebtedness. These are really, these are powerfully political conversations that Jesus yeah. wants us yeah. to have. And, um, and yet we in the church, again, back to that idea of dualism, we try to separate spirit from, from, from body, heaven from hell, eternal life from mm-hmm. this life. And uh, that's not what Jesus was about. And so I wanted to do a, a sermon series in which we just address those issues and, and from a biblical perspective. Awesome. And obviously, it eventually became into book form. Uh, but what I want to point out to our listeners is, as I mentioned from the top, Mark and I are neighbors in a way. Uh, we both reside kind of in the Denver metro area. Do you live in Highlands Ranch? I do. I, I live in Highlands Ranch, and, and then Highlands Ranch is the church that I, I serve at St. Andrew here. Yeah. And, uh, so he lives in Highlands Ranch, which is on the far south suburb of the Denver. I am in Thornton, uh, which is like a northeast suburb. So we're we're probably a good 45 minutes away from each other, like on a good day of traffic. <laughs> uh, but still, I've... You know, I, I know a little bit about Highlands Ranch. I've certainly been there a few times. And, I, you know, I want to just point out for our listeners, Mark, uh, these things you're saying, you know, we, we both work in mainline contexts, which have a tendency to be at least somewhat on the left end of the spectrum theologically and sometimes politically. So some of our listeners might be like, oh, that's that's really not that bold or courageous thing to say. But Highlands Ranch, folks, just take my word for it. Like. Uh, it's not quite Colorado Springs, if you know anything about Colorado Springs, but it's like, it's like the next, you know, it's like the, I don't know if you'd agree, Mark, but I'd say it's like second, second there next, uh, pretty polar opposite, for instance, of like a Boulder, Colorado. Um, so, I, I'm curious, like, when you're doing this, like, you, you know, you're a fairly large church, at least it, what I, from the outside, it perceives to be so. How was the community? What did, what was the feedback from the community like? Uh, has there been continued conversation? How has it impacted the community? I'm curious. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, you know, Highlands Ranch is, um, it, you know, is a, a southern suburb of Denver. I think it's fair to say it's it, it leans um, it, it leans politically conservative. It's it's a very affluent, mm-hmm. well educated. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. upwardly mobile, you know, uh, mostly white um, uh, community. Yeah. It's for those that, that, you know, already have opportunity, it's the land of great opportunity. And, yeah. um, and, and, and because of that, it, you, from the outside, at least you think it's immune to some of the social problems that the, the rest of the world is facing, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's not, it's just simply, it's easier to whitewash them. It has the resources to whitewash some of those issues. And so yeah. that makes it really difficult to talk about um, things like racism when few people in our mm-hmm. community uh, are other than white, right? Um, it makes it hard to talk about poverty when when few people here are going to bed hungry. Um, mm-hmm. And and of course, that I think that contributes to 
that that fragility, right, that we hear about um, on, on a number of mm-hmm. issues and it triggers people. So when, um, I mean, to give you an idea of how either ironic or providential it was that uh, that on the very first Sunday that I preached, that I started this series, uh, I, I planned to, to preach on the topic of immigration. That was the same mm-hmm. week in January of 2019 when um, the immigration debate really hit its uh, its uh, boiling point with the separation wow. of families at the border, yeah. the images of kids in cages, um, and the rhetoric that was was flying around. So, uh, talk about a, a, a very charged atmosphere that day. Yeah, like people emailing and calling and visiting me saying, "If you do this, I'm not going to come to church." And um, yeah. And yet what happened instead is, you know, we, I think that first Sunday we were 28% over our annual or our weekly attendance, you know, mm-hmm. we average about 1100 on a Sunday and we were almost at 1300 that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, I'll admit, it felt like I was, you know, doing the high wire act and yeah. some TNT. Yeah. but I also enjoyed that. And, um, because I, I think what it communicates is the gospel has something to say about this. And, um, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it in a way that, that that's not abusive of my authority and my privilege as a pastor. Um, and we're going to stick with uh, some very simple, as, as we, I call them in the book, axioms that we can all hopefully agree on and build some momentum toward uh, consensus and, and mutual understanding. I will say, you know, uh, that particular Sunday, um, was was very successful and uh, got us going for eight more weeks on some or seven more weeks on some very difficult topics that followed. Yeah. Um, and what I'll say too is that I think what was very discernible was that those who were coming to the church for the first time because they heard about it from a neighbor or a colleague tended to be mm-hmm. younger. And so yeah. what I learned from yeah. that is that um, that our younger f- uh, constituencies they. I mean, of course, they, they care about spiritual things, but they care about the real world. Mm-hmm. And well, they, they want to know if if God and the, and the church still has something to say that's, yeah. that's relevant to yeah. the world they're living in. I'm, I'm thinking back as you were talking about that. You said 2019, right? Yeah. January 2019? Yeah. I feel like it was, maybe this was, well, I can't remember anymore. Maybe it was December of, well, I guess December of 2018 would have been that same time frame i remember like preaching and just referencing like god doesn't build walls or uh-huh. something and getting like a visitor comment being like hey i don't come to church to hear cnn yeah <laughs> so i can only imagine uh what you might have heard and and you know i sort of made reference to that same tension that we feel as pastors whenever mm-hmm. something explodes on tv and we have to address it from the pulpit we walk in with a great deal of um, expectation and pressure. And, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, just after the, the insurrection at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, it was interesting. I saw on Facebook, somebody said, uh, a colleague, you know, if you're a pastor, this may be the most, uh, you know, um, important sermon you preach in your lifetime. Right. Mm-hmm. And then underneath it were a bunch of comments from preachers who were saying, didn't we already have like four of those this year or three yeah, of those the, yeah. the year before? 
Um, you know, and people joking. Yeah, it's just another one until there's an, another once in a lifetime. And and we open our mouths yeah. and we lose people. We say too much, we lose yeah. people. We say too little, we lose people. And it's and yet we have to do it. Mark, this is like turning into a, a master class just, you know, on preaching. Yeah. So forgive me. We can talk about your book here eventually. Um, but I'm thinking about like, I, I was joking with somebody, I think probably on a pod, on an interview here about how like I've, in my mind, there's three like clear, like made for, they're going to turn into a movie events that's happened in the last, you know, 12 months. Obviously the pandemic, there's going to be a movie. Um, the, the unrest and black lives matter. That's going to be a movie. And then, like the insurrection, the Wednesday the sixth, yeah. that's going to be a movie. So, uh, and I, I, I know, like I remember seeing myself, you know, on Twitter. We're only a couple weeks removed from the events of January sixth, and the, the struggle of, and I think this is a thing that many pastors face, especially mainline pastors, is like, you know, what do you talk about? You know, how often do you? change your message versus stick to what you know stick to what you're planning on preaching trusting that god's message can still make an impact whether it's speaking to something directly that happened last week or not well here's another reason why i preach the series that led to the book and it's it's a the reason i tell people all the time that we have to from a pulpit engage political issues in a fair and just way but and with, with mm -hmm. great grace. But if we don't, then suddenly something does happen in the world and we have to speak to it. And then we find ourselves yeah. like every week speaking to another issue. And so yeah. we are reacting rather than, um, than creating the kind of culture that over time is able to hear what we are trying to say. Um, and so I think to that point, you know, what I, the series I preached in 2019 that led to the book, I think did help lay some foundation for having difficult conversations in church and um, and and to model what that looks like so people aren't so anxious about it. Yeah, very good. Uh, okay, so for folks who are thinking like, hey, how am I going to preach this? Ding, ding, ding. Mark has a book about it. So <laughs> I'll get back on topic here, Mark, and we can talk about it. Um, so you write in the book about a politics of love and compassion. And I'd like to hear you elaborate more about that and what that looks like. Yeah, so the the, 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 the idea of politics of compassion, um, it's really rooted in this word, uh, compassion, that uh, that in, in scripture, you'll find it in, for example, the, the, the Lucan story of the Good Samaritan, um, that, um, that the, the Good Samaritan acts with uh, compassion, and the and the Greek word there is um, a variation on splagnitsomai is the Greek word. It's a wonderful mouthful. It comes from the the root word splankna. Uh, it gives mm -hmm. rise to what today we would call the spleen, but it really was understood mostly uh, and used mostly as a reference to the gut and. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the ancients believed that the seat of human emotion was not in the head. It wasn't even in the heart, but it was in the gut. And so even today we would say, for example, when I saw that particular tragedy, 
you know, I felt my, my gut or my stomach twist in knots or I, I had yeah. butterflies when I was yeah. nervous. Yeah. I mean, it, so the, the gut is, is something we want to pay attention to because it, it's where we physically feel uh, what we witness. And, mm-hmm. and by accessing that, that place in us, we can then ask the question, what is it like to experience that? Um, so for the Good Samaritan, what is it like to have been beaten and robbed and left by, you know, uh, not only robbers, but good religious people? Um, mm-hmm. and, and then that helps us then form an appropriate response. And so uh, this, this splagnitzomai, um, it, it generates in us the capacity to feel what's going on in the other person. And it gets us out of our head. And so much of our divisions mm-hmm. today are ideological yeah. and um, and it, it, those emerge from a more cognitive place rather than a place of, of deep human emotion. So uh, Simone Weil, the great philosopher, uh, Jewish uh, philosopher said, you know, the love of our neighbor in all its fullness simply means being able to say, what are you going through? What are you going through? Hmm. And that's mm-hmm. where I think we can begin to have conversations about, say, healthcare. And I've got a, a, a neighbor who's a friend of mine who's who's on the far opposite side of me on the issue of healthcare on most issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> but we can argue about healthcare uh, and land in ideological places and have all of our talking points lined up and walk away pretty bruised by it because we're not right. Right. Convert the other, but or we can say, you know, in this case, Phil, what if, you, what if, what if you lost your job today, and yeah. you lost your health care, and your, you know, your oldest son, you know, was diagnosed mm-hmm. with a fatal disease, right? What's that feel like, and and how how would we both walk through that together as 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 neighbors? So that's an example of trying to trying to find common ground by walking in common shoes. Yeah, that's so good. I, um, and I'll, I'll say, you know, right after the presidential election, uh, Saturday Night Live, the host on that episode was uh, Dave Chappelle. And I would really mm-hmm. encourage your listeners to, 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 to look it up and find it on YouTube and watch the opening monologue because what he talked about was this idea that, um, that we experience so much of the, the same, uh, the, the, so many of the same problems in the world, but we hate each other for it rather than, as he says, rather than hating how it makes us feel. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. It was an amazing insight to say, um, you know, uh, we, we can we can all talk about racism, but, um, you know, it, unless we can say it's not that I want to hate the one who's a racist, but um, maybe the healing of our country can, can begin around hating how that feels um, to be excluded. And frankly, what we saw on January 6th was, um, you know, uh, the evolution of, of a stockpile of grievances of, of mostly white people uh, who, yeah, uh, who are feeling like nobody's listening to them. Um, it's far more complex than that, of course, but yeah, yeah. But in, uh, Dave Chappelle's point was, and until we can 
stand in those shoes even for a few seconds to say, what does it feel like to be those people? Um, we can't understand their grievance. Well, let me let me ask a question related uh, there, and I'm glad it kind of fits well with you know the events of one six. Um, so much of that was kind of, at least from my perspective, was spurred by what we'd call fake news, conspiracy theories, and certainly in the last four or five years, you know, has been the the rise of fake news and alternative facts and all that stuff. So much of your book, as I understand, it, is kind of based on these the word you use is axioms, these kind of like self-evident truths. So the question I've got to ask is like, is there even such a thing anymore as axioms and self-evident truths in this world of quote unquote fake news? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good point. Um, at the, at this point in, in history, in our country, we probably shouldn't make too many assumptions, you know, uh, about mm-hmm. anything that, that seems self-evident to us that may not be to others. You know, the question is, are we living in a post-truth world? I think maybe the next few years will tell us that um, yeah. a little more clearly. I mean, on the one hand, regardless of our, our partisan political um, persuasion, I think, you know, we'll, we'll likely still count on the fact that the sun rises in the West. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. count on the fact that, you know, we shouldn't underestimate gravity if we're thinking mm-hmm. of skydiving without a parachute. You know, some of these things are, are, are true, right? But, but we're living in yeah. a world in which I think so many of our old certainties and reliable truths are, are contested and called into question. Um, I, I just, even though that's the case, I don't, I don't think we should give up uh, truthful conversation and, sure. uh, and, and conversations in, that generate uh, trust. And I think most of us aren't having those conversations um, we're, we're, we're having monologues rather than dialogues mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. and we're getting, you know, we're getting our truth. We're getting what we presume is self-evident truth, um, uh, from sources that, um, that are uniquely, um, situated in the world, um, to profit from, mm-hmm. um, from untruth. Yeah. So, yeah. I like your phrasing there, monologues versus dialogues. I mean, so much of social media is meant to be a monologue, and perhaps that's some of the challenge, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's worse. It's an echo chamber. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, oh, I, I was going to dive down, drill down a little bit. Uh, you know, imagine you're speaking with a, another pastor, and they're like, hey, Mark, I want to talk. I want to use your your book in a sermon series, but like, you know, I've got like I've got like flat earthers. I mean, to me, that we could say like, hey, the the sky is blue, the sun rises in the east, but then the earth is round, and there's some people who just deny that the earth is round. Um, do you have any advice for a, for a pastor who's like, hey, I like this approach, but I'm even worried it's you know, can my people even handle that? Like, what what advice would you have? I would, I would begin with um, what what I did when I preached the sermon series, which was it turned out to be a highly effective strategy, and that was to actually do a, a survey every week, uh, the week prior to uh, Sunday. Uh, so mm-hmm. 
in, in, in my situation, I send out an email every Wednesday to the congregation. And, um, and that's usually yeah, sort of a, a glimpse of what I'm going to be preaching about this week, as well as some really important information I want to share with, with the people. And so I would use that space to say, I'm preaching about the topic of immigration this coming Sunday. And we've created mm -hmm. a very simple six or seven question survey that we, that we want you to participate in so that on Sunday mm. we can show you where, what you believe and what you uh, in general. Yeah. And so that became a way for people to express what it is they do believe. It also gave me a chance to sort of gauge where people were. Yeah. And, and that's and then, smart. And, and not to, 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 to water down what I wanted to say, but at least to acknowledge it. I know some of you here feel this way and I know some of you yeah. feel this way. What I, what I did found, uh, find in, in my congregation here, which is highly politically diverse, I found that mm -hmm. I found that um, that there was great consensus around some of these issues, and far from um, far from what we are told uh, in, mm -hmm. in news media, that most right. people are, are are there, not on maybe the particulars, but in general terms, mm -hmm. um, that there's more agreement than disagreement. Yeah, it just goes back to what you said about there's sources whose incentive is to keep us divided. Um, I, that's a great idea, though, uh, you know, because I'm just thinking out loud here. And like, if you're sending me a survey, I'm already feeling like my voice is being heard, even if only on a small level. Yeah. You know, because the inverse would, I imagine, you probably still got this to some extent, but you're essentially like, that kind of angry like Monday morning or Sunday afternoon email about, oh, pastor, can't believe what you said. Like you've, you're already, you're like, you're like preempting that in a way. Yeah. And, you know, in our case, we have a, you know, a big screen. So I, I could just, I could actually post the answers to each of those questions on the screen and point to them and say, um, this is where you are. And I, I hear you. And we're going to begin mm -hmm. by acknowledging that you're, um, that this is where you are and your, and your voice matters. Yeah, because again, like you're doing, you're saying, uh, you know, if you're here and you think differently, I hear you, I, I recognize you, I'm not going to. So that's a great strategy. And I imagine what well, you could probably do that, even if you were a less tech savvy context, you could probably like put it in a bulletin the previous week and hope have people respond to the bulletin, drop it, maybe in a box on the way out the, uh, the door and then assemble it to put it in the next week's bulletin type thing. Like, yeah. I think that's such a great idea. All right, um, last thing let me ask you about the book is um, you, you write about a goal of reclaiming our shared values as people of faith. So I guess the first question is, like, tell me why you think that's possible. Forgive me for being so cynical. And then what do you see as some of those shared values being? So uh, in the book, I talk about what I describe as, as three core commitments, which really are those shared values that, that I'm calling us to, um, to, to reclaim. And those three values are what I call kinship, kenosis, and delight. And um, these are the values that we see um, practiced in what Jesus called the uh, basileia, uh, theu, the, the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, by kinship, we, we, we mean that we see 
we see ourselves belonging to 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 one to one family uh, rather than moving into what today we experience as sort of tribalistic uh, thinking, which which weaponizes faith. Uh, and so, uh, what we find in the Gospels is the kind of Jesus who who understands that that the table is is wide enough and long enough for for everyone and this Mm -hmm. is scary stuff uh in so many ways but at the table is is both the the, you know the 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 jew and the greek um the the Mm -hmm. the slave and the free right Uh, the roman soldier and the oppressed um and Mm -hmm. and so what i describe here is this idea that um the length and width of our table uh, determines the the depth and breadth of our compassion. And the bigger we grow mm. that table, the bigger we grow that table, um, the more we, uh, we we find kinship there. Now that 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 assumes one thing, and that is that those at the table aren't hurting um, mm. their neighbors yeah. at the table. And and, yeah. and that in, in churches we see it and experience this all the time, where where, where people become hurtful, and that's when we say um, in, inclusion does have its limits uh, insofar yeah. as we, we begin to do harm. And so a kinship is one. Kenosis, that we know, is the Greek word uh, that refers to, uh, as Paul describes, Jesus as the one who empties himself, not using his privilege to serve himself, mm-hmm. but using his privilege to, to serve others. And... Uh, and that, uh, in a in a culture today that is so focused on self gain and yeah. and winning, yeah, uh, that's and hard. I'll preach to, to white America. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but kinship calls us, especially those of us who are white and privileged, uh, to use our resources to advocate and work for those, uh, and to be allies for those who um, who don't have that privilege. And the third is 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 what I call delight. And it's one of my favorite words, um, but it, what I'm trying to get at here is this idea that we see the Imago Dei, the image of God, in every mm-hmm. person. In fact, in all of uh, not only human but non-human life forms, and mm-hmm. that, uh, insofar as it's true that God breathed God's spirit uh, at, at creation and created all living things, there is. Hmm. There is something of God in all living things, and and that calls us to see then that that we can't objectify the other mm-hmm. because that other contains um, something of God. We can't demonize the other. Yeah. We can't scapegoat the other. Uh, so those are the three um, values that that I'm calling the reader to uh, to re- re- reclaim. Is it possible? I don't. Honestly, I don't know. I, I think the issue, it's not possible if we're talking about America, the, the form of Christianity called American Christianity, um, yeah. which is distinct from and other than the kind of religion that Jesus of Nazareth practiced. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus was principally concerned with love of God and love of neighbor. Those were the two primary loves. Uh, American Christianity is principally concerned with love of power and love of certainty. And, um, yeah. it, you know, and so it, 
we have we have to surrender the American brand of Christianity, I think, to reclaim those um, values of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we move on, give me that length and width quote again. I think that's such yeah the, such a great the, image. The, the length and width of our table determines the depth and breadth of our compassion. With the, the, the caveat, if that's the right word, that sometimes not everyone can be welcome at the table for the sake of the safety of the rest of the people at the table. Such a hard dynamic, right? Yeah, you know, to do no harm, right? That's rule yeah. number one at the table. Yeah. Well, let's take a break real quick, and we'll come back with some closing questions. Hi there. My name is Brian Davis, and I'm the host of the podcast Chasing Sunday, a show that talks to worship leaders and other church creatives about the pain, frustration, and joys they face as they work in the relentless world of producing art for churches 52 Sundays a year. It's a show about burning out and burning bright. Together, we talk about how we can find a healthier and more creative alternative to Chasing Sunday After Sunday. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For a progressive, inclusive church that allows you to ask questions, explore your faith, and connect with God, check out Mission Gathering Thornton, a community of Jesus followers dedicated to growing in faith, living whole lives, and seeking justice for the good of all. As an online church with incarnational communities, we're meeting together online and in person with opportunities for you to connect with people across the street and all over the world. So visit us at mgthornton.org, find us on Facebook and YouTube. We'd love to have you be a part of this life-giving community. All right, we're back with Reverend Mark Feldmeyer. And uh, Mark, I always tell people you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Um, but if you're a Pope for a day, what do you want to do? That's, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I, I am a huge admirer of Pope Francis, and uh, I, uh, I think he's got it right. Um, every chance you get, sneak out the back door and hang out with some hurting and real people. Mm. Um, go wash. Sneak out the back door. That's good right there. Yeah, you know, go wash some feet, uh, shed the robe, and, and put on your blue jeans and model, I think, what it looks like to love God and love neighbor. Um, and... And make sure people see it because um, being in, a, in that position of authority, uh, I, I think, uh, has powerful implications and consequences for the world. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, a, a historical, feel, I can't talk, <laughs> uh, an historical Christian or theological figure you would want to meet or bring back to life? Well, probably like a lot of your listeners, um, I'm drawn to, to Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, mm -hmm. for, for a number of different reasons, not just because he was a, a Christian martyr, uh, a modern Christian martyr, mm -hmm. but, but because he understood how, uh, how a good theology had political implications. And so, yeah. so to simply say that Jesus is Lord uh, means, of course, uh, that all other things are um, 
yeah or at our least sub- penultimate or you know yeah and and um and i i i i i've lived with that you know his work with other pastors and theologians in writing the Barman Declaration, uh, I found myself in the last few years returning again and again to to that good theological work, which uh, which puts Christ um, back at the center of, of our conversation. Uh, I would also add, and and this this theologian's still alive, thank goodness, uh, but is in his nineties. That's John Cobb. Um, I, oh yeah, you know yeah. I studied at, at School of Theology at Claremont under John Cobb and David Ray Griffin, uh, and and came to love and appreciate process theology, and um, and I if I had a chance to sit down with John Cobb, uh, uh, you know I'd love to talk more about you know how how process theology can speak into some of the divisions and issues that we're experiencing mm-hmm. in our modern world. So, mm-hmm. cool. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? You know, there are two ways to go here, right? And one, <laughs> one is to go down the, the possibly cynical route. Yeah. Uh, but what I'll say is, I think we'll look back, history will look back and say, we are a generation that had all the tools necessary for for meaningful and deep connection and community. We, mm-hmm. we have neighborhoods, we have churches, we have social media when it's used at its best. Um, all these ways to be in touch and to care for one another. Uh, but nevertheless, we were probably the most lonely generation in American history. And why is that so? Mm-hmm. And we, yeah. and so what we might be remembered for is how we, we took out that loneliness and the pain of loneliness on others by by tribalistic warfare mm-hmm. and yeah. and we hurt other people because of it i think on a positive note i would hope that history would say they they acted just in time it was almost too late <laughs> but yeah. but they finally came around and they got it um, they acted yeah. on social injustices they acted on climate change healthcare, these kinds of things well, let's keep going with that then. What do you hope for the future of Christianity? Now, here's probably where uh, <laughs> a little humor is is helpful. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, honestly, um, we're, we're long overdue for a reformation, uh, a new reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a number of number of implications for that. One being maybe the future of Christianity um, looks like fewer clergy. <laughs> Um, I mean, we've kind of been in charge for about 2000 years and this is, this is kind of what we've made of it. Uh, you know, maybe there's a, <laughs> another strategy. Um, Mark, I'm going to confess I struggle with that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I think as pastors, we, we all struggle with it uh, a lot. Um, but the, the future of Christianity, again, I, I would ask the question, which Christianity, the, the one that Jesus practiced or the one that is, mm-hmm. is more Americanized and, um, yeah and politicized and weaponized uh so yeah i think it's time to reboot and return and and rebrand um and none of us are uh, none of us are prepared for that because it means surrendering uh what little privilege and authority we still have in this modern world you know the 
if this falls according to place, your interview is going to air after one I just had. And I think he gave a similar answer to that question. So I'm kind of wondering if something's in the water, so to speak, yeah. there. Yeah. Um, where can people find out more about you and then get the book? Well, um, I, I preach almost every week uh, at St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Hounds Ranch. Uh, we've got a pretty active um, virtual presence at this point, so it's pretty easy to, to find me, to, to, to listen and get to know me through my preaching. Uh, that's uh, gostandandrew.com. And then uh, Mark uh, Feldmeyer.com is my personal website where I do a lot of blog uh, postings, and you can find some chapters and videos on my book there, some good resources for small groups. And, uh, and the book is available through uh, Chalice Press, the publisher, as well as all your major Amazon, Barnes and Noble, booksellers. So, yeah, I definitely recommend folks check it out if you're looking to try to dive into like uh, tackling these kind of topics in a way that's going to be able to reach a broad, you know, broad spectrum of of churchgoers. So, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the conversation, and may God's peace be with you. And also with you, Lauren. Thanks for having me on the on the show today. for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks and go in peace.